Loudspeaker Studios. National superstar Zach Amico, and you're watching Talking Trauma with Zach Bind. Zach, Zach, Zach. I'm Zach. He's Zach. He's Zach. Ooh, enjoy the show. To the show. Tromaville, and welcome to episode 16 of Talkin' Troma with your host, me, Zach Bynes. The show where me and a special guest take a magic bus ride by watching a trauma movie and then paired with a non-trauma title for a fantasy double feature. But first, let me introduce my guest. He roamed the halls of Tromaville High School as a Cretan, led the charge of cancel culture and hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm, occupied can, appeared in several trauma projects, even in the virtual reality realm. He's a wrestler, podcaster, and comedian. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you international superstar, Zach Amico. Wow, thank you. I appreciate that, man. I, I'm glad that both Troma Zachs can finally discuss trauma. Together. Yeah, finally, maybe people will stop thinking we're the other one. Yeah, it's it's like the only way to tell is with our pants down. One of us yeah. has a cock ring, and the other does not. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, it's the other, it's the other fat Zach with the black glasses. <laughs> I always like to start the show with like how how did you get introduced to trauma movies? Um, I think I have a pretty common story, which is I was a fan of Toxic Crusaders as a kid. And then, uh, you know, you grow up, you start eating up horror movies, uh, searching the aisles of Suncoast Video. And I saw Toxic Avenger. I remember Toxic from the cartoons. And I bought Toxic Avenger on VHS when I was probably about 12. And I watched I had a TV that had the VCR built in in my room. And I watched it once, rewound it, watched it again, walked into my living room and told my parents I wanted to make movies. Nice. Did did you um before you started um working at Troma, did you make any movies on your own? Oh uh, yeah, I made a few movies in college. Um, but they were very trauma-esque. I made a movie and actually Troma owns them. They haven't been put out yet, uh, but they've been screened. And it's so funny, I don't know how. Uh so they're called uh Skitsled Sluts from Planet Fucktard. And Skit Sled Sluts 2, Franken Sluts. <laughs> and when uh, they did the Troma's War episode of Joe Bob, they were talking about the craziest trauma titles, and Joe Bob said Franken Sluts. And I, I know the guys that work on that show, and I'm like, oh, did you do that for me? And like, we didn't know you made that. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's so weird that this movie, you know, I made uh, uh, in my dorm room. Got a shout out on fucking uh, Joe Bob Briggs. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and you, you briefly like jumping ahead a little bit, but you worked on Joe Bob a little bit, didn't you? I worked on the first season. Yeah, I uh, I uh, ad'd it. That's awesome. Is a fun 
a fun show. It's cool to see a bunch of trauma guys like yeah, those that. Are the, everybody that works there. They're just the cool Martel and uh, Austin Jennings and uh, John Brennan are just the coolest guys in the world. That's awesome. Well, when did you um, first start doing stuff with Troma? Was it Return to Newcomb High, or did you start doing conventions and stuff before that? I was an intern there prior to that. So I graduated college in 2009, and I had made an hour-long movie called Mickey Maniac. That was about an animator who gets fired and goes crazy and kills everybody in his office. And Lloyd, I got, Lloyd was speaking at NYU, and I got him to do a quick cameo. And uh, by the way, hint, if you're making a low-budget movie, whoever your uh, femme fatale is, if you have a beautiful girl in that movie, give her a producer credit. That way she can walk up to people like Lloyd or somebody go, hi, I'm producing a movie. Because he's going to meet 20 guys who look like me and Zach. (laughs) We say, I'm making a movie. But if a pretty girl walks up to them and says, I'm producing a movie, you're going to have a much easier time. We are the definition of the trauma demographic. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, when you work at the trauma office, the the f- three, four, and five X shirts run out real quick. Uh, and uh, so uh, I had taken Mickey Maniac over to the trauma office to give them a copy, and I just started coming in once or twice a week, doing internship. Um, I wound up getting a job. I'm a comedian uh, by trade and a podcaster now. Uh, I just started doing comedy at the time and I got a doorman job at a club. So I couldn't come in during the day as much anymore. So I took some time off. I wound up seeing an ad that they were making return to Newcomb high. I went in and auditioned and said it was my dream to die in a trauma movie. People kind of knew me there already because I had interned and uh, the audition form said, are you willing to do nudity? And I checked yes. And you know, it's been history ever since. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about, like, what what kind of stuff did you do as an intern in the offices? Uh, uh, as Michael Harris would politely say, you do shit work. <laughs> That's awesome. uh, You know, you, you sweep up, you pack boxes, you go into the basement to find the beta of something if they need a clip of it. You uh, uh, sweep, you take out the garbage, you clean toilets. You know, uh, it's a uh, bottom of the barrel shit. I luckily, one of my jobs was helping Lloyd with interviews. Uh, if it was something online, I kind of uh, broke stuff down for him because after years of fandom and reading all his books, I kind of spoke Lloyd. So I was lucky enough that I could, come, he, he trusted me. If he needed something done, he could call me and go, hey, what is this? Can you read this and give me the gist of it? And we'll put something together, you know, between the two of us. And that quickly became one of my uh, roles. Uh, (laughs) I came to audition. I think he knew he could trust me and he knew uh, that I knew what I was doing. So on Return to Newcomb High, were you involved in the writing process at all? Or was the character Zach created specifically for you? So um, originally... I believe the character was named Francis and he was who died when the nerd dies in the beginning of one. He's the first one to die. The kid whose head explodes. Um, And then it kind of got jumbled around. Then I became one of the friends Then it became, and this was all during the audition. The the script kept changing. Um, 
And then it became that I was going to be one of the Cretans. Uh, but that was all like that just kept getting my it kept expanding the more and more I showed up. Because I think I came in like seven or eight times. Um, and every time I was getting a completely new script. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where my character was completely different. And I was Francis, even I think when we went out to shoot it. And then they named all the tertiary characters after Saved by the Bell people. And I said, oh, well, I guess I'll just use my name. <laughs> That's awesome. Because uh, we already had a Slater and a Kelly. So I just, I, I, I said, well, why don't I just be Zach? That's funny. I remember when the movie came out, they were like, I had people ask me, they're like, did they base that character on me? They got, they got a guy wearing black glasses whose name is Zach. I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> Probably not because his name is actually Zach. So. Yeah, oh, that not... was just a a quinky dink. So, did you live in in Buffalo? Did you live in the funeral home with everybody else, sir? Yes, I did. I actually, so I was living in Brooklyn when I auditioned, and I was uh, selling comedy tickets in the street in Times Square. And I got a call from the producer Justin Martell, and he said, "Listen, we're thinking you might have gotten the part in the movie." we're also looking for a second AD. And I know you're a comedian and I've seen you, you're pretty good with people. Uh, is that something you'd be interested in? And I jumped at it and he said, well, here's the thing. I believe it was a Thursday or a Friday. And he said, we're leaving for Buffalo on Monday. And I said, okay. He goes, well, can you do it? And I walked up, I quit. I walked up to my boss, took off my, uh, lanyard i quit my job on the spot and then uh said i quit I, you know it's my last day and i took a train up to the trauma office signed my contract and uh i moved that weekend that's awesome i uh, got in a car and i was actually part of the first wave uh so it was myself justin and justin's location manager and assistant who we called party boy because uh his name is Alex. He's a really, really sweet kid. And we were, I think, two hours late to Lloyd's house because <laughs> he wanted us to pick on our way. So we we not only were driving to Buffalo, Lloyd insisted we drive to his house in Manhattan in midday traffic to pick up a baby bassinet that they could put in the movie. Now, there were going to be another 50 cars probably going back and forth but he insisted we come and pick up this baby bassinet <laughs> so that it would be in the movie. So we drove all the way out to go get it. And uh, we were like two hours late because of a number of things happened. And Alex looks at Lloyd goes, you're very late. This is not a good start. <laughs> and Alex goes, oh, you know, you know, things kind of get behind when you're on a road trip. And we both were like, oh, no, he's going <laughs> to Lloyd's going to never forget that he just fucking said that. So every time he goes, he literally called us like that. He was like, I don't know about this Alex guy. Fucking party boy, Alex. You're on a fucking road trip. I thought you were working on a movie. But no, it's a big party. We're on a road trip. Uh, so, yeah, it was me, Justin, and party boy. And uh, we went out to go find where we were going to stay. And the ramifications we received were... Uh, excuse me, part of the specifications we received were uh, housing for 65 people, 
a special effects lab and an office all separately. And we wound up meeting this great real estate guy who was interested in getting into film. And he said, he, he talked like Dr. Phil. And he's like, he's like, boys, I think I have a perfect place for all three. And he takes us to this abandoned funeral home. And it had been locked up since the 90s. Like, it was a dump inside. Like, it, it was spiders and dust and everything you think. And we gutted it, threw everything out, ripped up the floors, scraped up all the carpet glue, and painted the whole place so we get a certificate of occupancy. So originally it was the three of us, and then we had like two or three more people join us. And we got that building ready for all 60 people that were going to come stay. How many people ended up working on the crew? I don't know how many people worked on it, but I think there were nights where we had like 70 people in the house, in the funeral. I mean, it was big, but uh, there were also four toilets and one shower. Yeah. <laughs> and that shower backed up because it was in the basement. So if you wanted to take a shower and you were not the first person, you were standing in trauma employee soup. Yeah. <laughs> up to like your, your, your shins. That's how it was on uh, Poultry Geist. And the shower kept getting clogged with glue and feathers the whole time. <laughs> did you guys have hot water at least? Yes, we did. Ooh. <laughs> uh, however, um, at a certain point, it was either take a, 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 slop, a slop sink shower or, I mean, I don't know. I'm not recommending this. But, hey, if you're in a new city, meet some locals. Maybe meet somebody of the kind of person that you would shack up with. And not only do you get a little stress relief on your day off, <laughs> get a hot shower and a bed to sleep in once a week. That definitely happened on our set, too. With It was like, fuck this. There's no... We got one shower for 70 people. This sucks. Yeah. So, you know, standard, the, the standards of who you're willing to go home with on a trauma set really lower exponentially <laughs> as, as the shoot continues. You also look a lot better on a trauma set because <laughs> you're not eating anything. Oh, I, it's so funny. I lost about 45 pounds. Uh, making return to Newcomb High, and we didn't shoot completely in order. So I am one weight at the beginning of the movie. I lose 40 pounds as the movie goes on, but then we did reshoots. So I just get fatter. I get like, I'm like three different fats, <laughs> depending on where we are in the movie. Were you guys sleeping shoulder to shoulder in the. It was more like uh, asshole to elbow. <laughs> uh yeah we were actually the uh i claim one of the benefits of getting there early is you claim a corner so that you can at least uh get up against the wall uh but in the corner was myself vito trigo who played leonardo the cretan and josh potter who played uh the duck monster uh who is one of my best friends and we kind of took over a little corner but yeah, no, we were all, it was an open floor. It was where they would have like funerals. Yeah. You know, it was, it was no, even without all the shit in the funeral home, you saw what the, you knew what the fuck it was. And uh, yeah, you would, uh, it was all of us on yoga mats and air mattresses. Did, um, 
you guys have so on poultry guys we had a really strict rule no drinking no drugs or you're fired was it the same on return to newcomb high yes it was we had to sign a contract and it was with the real estate agent as well so of course nobody did drugs or drank that being said if you're gonna drink on a trauma movie for instance I don't know. I, I'm not saying anyone did this. I'm not saying I did this. <laughs> Lloyd Kaufman goes through a lot of diet Mountain Dew. Now, what I would suggest, if you need to get a drink in, is you get a diet Mountain Dew, you half fill it back up with vodka, and then you write LK on the cap and put it in the refrigerator so that no one will steal it. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, <laughs> uh, the other good thing for that is the big the Monster Energy had big cans that had a twist cap. So you finish that and you put it away, wash it out, and you can refill those with Tall Boys. But now with no no drinking whatsoever on the set. Yeah, no on on uh, Poultry Guys, it was pretty strict to the point where I turned twenty one on set. And I didn't even tell anybody because I'm like, I'm not about to get fired from Tromaville for, for drinking. So Yeah, it was pretty strict. I know, you know, even though, like, it was so strict. But then we did talk to some of, like, the producers and shit. And, like, there was a bit of, like, hide in the car and chug a few beers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you got to be discreet about it. So um, how did you guys go about... Did you find the high school that you filmed in or was that already secured before? So while we were out there, we actually saw two or three schools. That school was the Knack. It was the former Niagara Falls High School. And it had been converted into an art space where people rented the classrooms for art projects and, and like uh, different companies or, you know, little art studios. And it was perfect other than it did not have a cafeteria. So then we found a cafeteria at a college, the Buffalo University, and that's the uh, cafeteria we used. Uh, but other than that, yeah, that was all in the knack, and that was actually so fun. It was three blocks from the funeral home. Oh, that's pretty nice. So you walk the set every morning. That's pretty nice. Did um, I got to ask about the shirt you wear in the movie, the Alfred Packer, the musical yeah. shirt. Was that an original Alfred Packer shirt, or did they make that? That was an original Alfred Packer, the musical shirt, that I found in a box that Lloyd had of old T-shirts that he was uh, to give to extras. And uh, it was just at the bottom of the... I, I think... Oh, no, excuse me. He gave the girls a shirt, a box of shirts to cut up and use for the girls' wardrobe. So, like, you see, like, I know Asta has a Toxic Crusader shirt on. I think Katie has. Like uh, a Tromaville Health Club shirt. And... Yeah. The Tromaville Health Club shirts were made specially for us by a company. But um, at the bottom of the box was a Alfred Packer. It must have been from before it was called Cannibal the Musical. And I grabbed it and I put it on. And then Lloyd got mad because Lloyd hates white shirts in movies he thinks it takes it. Lloyd's very particular, and I mean, he's 100% right. He's been making movies for 50 fucking years. Who am I? But uh, whenever somebody wears a white shirt, he's like, get that guy a different fucking shirt. 
Everyone's going to think he's the star of the scene. White draws your eye. So I had a white shirt on, and I know he got mad because he said something to Seeger Dixon, the art director. He's like, why does Zach have a fucking white shirt on? It's going <laughs> to fuck up the whole movie. And Seeger goes, Lloyd, he's 300 pounds. The shirt's going to stay white for one take. He goes, <laughs> he goes oh, that's a good point. But So I'm, uh, I'm method, like Dennis Hopper. So because I was supposed to be gross in the movie, I refused to wash that shirt. We kept it in plastic bags, and then I would put it on for scenes, and it stunk so fucking bad. <laughs> but it would make people react to me the way I wanted. Another thing I did, so Katie Corcoran uh, in the movie is supposed to be vegan. And in real life, she was a vegetarian. So in the scene in the cafeteria where I asked her out, I took uh, roast beef and stuffed it under my fingernails <laughs> and kept trying to touch her face in the take. <laughs> so that you'll see her in the movie look at my hand and it's because she realizes I had hidden meat under my <laughs> fingernails and I was trying to rub it on her. <laughs> How do you feel about being in the tradition of Yanni of Sharon, John Carius, and then Zach Amico as as you know the the gross fat naked guy in the trauma movies. I would say that if there was a hall of fame for fat guys in a trauma movie, you're definitely up there. Well, I mean, obviously I, when I said I would do the Yanni run, cause I was such a huge fan. Everyone's eyes lit up and then I got naked and they saw that I have a Prince Albert and then it was an even bigger deal. Cause it Lloyd goes, we've never had one of those in a movie before. Uh, and then, I mean, of course the hall of fame is Joe Flyshaker. But uh, he would just get his shirt off. Yeah. And then I've, I've hung out with Yanni since then. And he's a really sweet guy. So, I mean, it's, it's a pleasure and a joy. And, you know, Lloyd loves fat people. Like, yeah. there was another fat guy who was definitely supposed to be my part. And he was fatter than me at the time. Now we're about even. But he was much bigger than me at the time. And he definitely and was a better actor. But they asked him to get naked, and he said no. And I think the fact that I was willing to get naked put me over him. He's actually, he's the guy, he's in the movie. He's um, Stuart Kiechek. He's the guy who wears overalls. He's one of the main background people. Uh, and he was definitely supposed to get the part, I think. <laughs> and I just weaseled my way into it. You're iconic, though, in that part. It's so funny. Like, the dipping sauces. Like... <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm doing two things. I'm doing Sammy Capulet. I'm doing Roger Rabbit. <laughs> and I'm doing Chris Farley. Nice. <laughs> uh, here's another tip. If you're working on a trauma movie, just like the uh, Mountain Dew bottle, if you want to do something that's a physical gag in a trauma movie and you want to pitch it to Lloyd, Tell him it's from the Three Stooges or the Marx Brothers or something, and that it's an homage to that. Because every time I wanted to do something that was very Chris Farley, I would go, no, I'm doing Curly. <laughs> and he'd be, oh, great. How's Zach do his Curly thing? <laughs> I like in the Two Girls, One Duck uh, documentary, which is the making of the Return movies, you have a line in there where – you're watching the playback of you running naked and falling on Babette bombshell. And you're like, 
who if you would have told me when I was 13 that I'd be teabagging uh, a drag queen who looks like Paul Bear, you know, my dreams would have come true. <laughs> Something to that effect. That was a very satisfying day when it was over and a very long day to shoot. How so tell we've we've heard from Debbie Rashawn her experiences on being nude in a trauma movie, but we've I've yet to hear from any gentlemen about their uh, their experiences. Can you is it different? Um, being nude in a trauma movie if you're a guy as opposed to one of the ladies I think it is a little different I think usually the more attractive cast members especially I think if it's a sex scene you get a little more privacy and it's more of a closed set and they're very respectful of that I pretty much didn't get a closed set at all for most of my scenes and if they did I literally just had like two juggalos with a bed sheet that would like wrap me up in between takes. Cause what had happened was all the, the parents in the scene in the uh, classroom I run into, those were all actually the parents of the extras. <laughs> and I asked them if anybody's parents wanted to be in the movie and that's who showed up. And I was like, Hey, just tell them that there's nudity in the scene. And then I got there and I'm like, it's me. And then I had <laughs> to direct the scene, you know, AD the scene naked. Uh, but you know it's fine. I'll tell you the only the only time it sucked. We were shooting the hallway part where I run naked down the hallway, and the NAC, the building we rented, was still active. So there were different artist groups and people that rented the building. And I'm supposed to run naked through uh, this hallway and cut a left, and I was going to have two people cover me up. We do the take. I run down the hallway naked, and I'm supposed to have my eyes. Excuse me, I have my eyes closed because the girls tell me close your eyes and count to ten. So I'm running with my eyes closed, and I cut a right, and I ran into. I I gotta make this the nicest way possible. I ran into a special ed classroom, <laughs> an adult daycare type uh, adult. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know. I you ran a, a special needs group, completely nude, and I just went ah! and ran back out. <laughs> and I mean, thank God, I bet nobody believed them. <laughs> so I used to work with adults with disabilities doing a day program. That would have totally made their day. <laughs> like, oh, listen, I'm sure it was quite the hit. <laughs> Lloyd kept telling me, he's like, you need to get these guys in a movie. They don't want to be doing whatever the fuck they're doing. Get, get them all in a scene. You guys should have got some uh, some fellows uh, with Down syndrome in the movie. <laughs> they, they, I'll tell you, if you've ever been on a trauma set, it would have brought the IQ up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any input with your uh, makeup design in the movie? Yes, I did. Um Babette Bombshell did my makeup and I explained it to Lloyd because I showed up with like the fishnets and stuff on and I had a shirt on for my favorite band, Bella Morte, who Troma had done a music video for and they did a song for uh, Newcomb High and Lloyd goes, no, that's too cool. And I was like, oh, no, no, Lloyd, you don't get it. I don't understand what a Cretan is and that was the bit. So if they're all like punks I should be like Rocky Horror glammed out. Yes. I don't understand it. Even to the point where my favorite thing is that they all have like the punk patches. 
And I have I had uh, Mark Quinette, who's uh, the Cretan with the big mohawk. He did a lot of our painting stuff. I said, hey, can you do it in pink bubble letters like it's the boardwalk? <laughs> it was just a running gag of that. I'm like this close to what a Cretan's supposed to be, but I just don't get it. <laughs> it's I love I love your Cretan vest because it is so different from you know when when people think of Cretans, it's like you said the the punk rock metalheads, but you're definitely a hundred percent a Cretan, but you're not one of those Cretans. Well, I'm the only one who didn't mutate. I'm the one I chose to be, which I also think is funny. <laughs> you you transitioned into a Cretan, yeah. <laughs> Um, so how was it like in the, the days when you're driving motorcycles around in that school? I know Lloyd runs a pretty tight ship with safety on set. And I can imagine that that was pretty, you know, sketchy and unsafe. Can you talk um, a little I, bit so about our that? stunt guys were incredible. Uh, Baird Hagman, uh, was our vehicle coordinator out there and he had some friends that did motorcycle tricks. They were phenomenal. I mean, we had no issues with it. Everybody was super safe. Uh, I don't know if this has been discussed. It might be at the end of uh, Two Girls, One Duck. You see me with the um, buffer. Yes. What had happened was they were doing spin outs on the floor of the school and they ripped the floor up. And there were tire tracks everywhere. And the school wanted to charge us $20,000 to redo their flooring. Oh my goodness. Now, I don't think it cost $20,000. I think they wanted new floors anyway. And went, well, here's a great way to get this for free. Yeah. And myself and Pat Clowman, who was on the art department, a great, great guy. I went, I can use a floor buffer. I've used to be a janitor. And he went, I've worked construction. I know how to use a floor buffer. We'll rent a floor buffer for 80 bucks and give me two days. And we just did it. And I I redid the floors of the school after the movie was done. That's the true trauma spirit right there. Yeah. That's because awesome. People forget, like you call cut on the last day. There's another week or two of work of cleaning out everything, cleaning, getting, the, you know, we had to throw out everything in the funeral home. It was, it was a whole other week and a half of getting the fuck out of there. Did you get to keep anything cool from set? Uh, yeah, herpes. Uh, no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, what did I, I? I have my Alfred Packer shirt. I have um, a couple little tchotchkes from the party. Um, I think I have. There was a duck uh, watering can that I really liked that I took. I don't know if I have anything. I gave away a lot of shit. I had a bunch of um, poultry geist chicken buckets nice that i used as incentives for people to stay if you were a trauma fan i would say hey i'm gonna auction one of these off to some to the extras that the actor persons that stay all day and then i have lloyd sign it uh so i had a bunch of those i gave them all away most of my shit that i had i wound up giving away either there or on set for shitstorm i would bring in as auction items that's cool. So with the premiere of Return to Newcomb High, it played at Cannes, 
And I know you went to Cannes. There's some lovely photos of you making out with Liam Regan uh, yeah. from there. And and you guys gotten uh, some some trouble. You, I want you to talk about trauma occupying Cannes a little bit. Yeah, so we went out to the Cannes Film Festival, uh, and it was lovely. Was this for and part this one? For, yes, it was for um, yeah, it was for volume one, I believe. And uh, we go out, and I same. I got a call from Justin Martel, who had hired me on the movie. He said, "We're thinking about bringing it out to Cannes. Would you be willing to recreate Yanni's naked run from uh, All the Love You Can, where he got out of the car and ran around?" And I was like, "Try and fucking stop me." So then uh, they said, you know, we'll, we'll pay for your, you know, we'll help you get out there. And I'm on the phone with Justin and I hear Michael Hurst goes, who is Zach D'Amico? And he goes, oh, he's the second AD on Newcomb High. He played Zach. He's in both movies. And he goes, and why are we sending him to Cannes? And he goes, he's going to do the naked run. And he goes, oh, the fat guy with the little dick. Great. Let's pay for him. <laughs> uh, and so I wound up actually streaking three times. Uh, once was in front of the main trade building at Cannes. Again, I did it in front. There was a bunch of paparazzi waiting out in front of a hotel. And I went, oh, this will be really funny. <laughs> so I streaked through the paparazzi line. And the third time was at Le Petit Majestic, which is the bar all the uh, bigwigs go to make deals at the end of the day at Cannes. And I ran naked out. And uh, all I had on me, because, you know, my cell didn't work. I didn't have anything. I had a wallet that went on my wrist that my friend Josh's wife had made me. And in it was just a little bit of money and Lloyd's business card for when I got arrested. <laughs> so I run screaming naked out of this bar. And they must have had eyes on me at this point because I had done this twice already. Because there were two cops waiting for me. And they just bodied me into a wall. <laughs> and I start screaming. And Katie Corkin runs over speaking French. He doesn't speak French. She doesn't speak French. And then the cop pulled up my pants and said, this is forbidden. You must go home. I went, okay. Well, let me go. That's awesome. But then after that, was that when the, the police were really just following the trauma team around everywhere they went? That was the next year. I was not there for that. Okay. What had happened was they went back for volume two and there had been a terrorist attack. Um, I can't exactly remember where, but a pretty uh, significant one. And they used that as justification to take away. No one was allowed to have masks or makeup or demonstrations because they thought it was a sign of um, like pro any anything that looked like a protest because they were afraid it was going to uh, freak people out. So that was basically the way they used to finally get rid of people promoting movies outside of the festival was to use this terrorist attack as justification to really like clamp down on anybody making any type of public spectacle. So after the return movies, did you work for Troma? I noticed you're in a lot of shorts that Troma did um, in between Shitstorm and Return to Newcomb High. I would make uh, appearances. Um like I said, I'm a comic. I'm kind of a, a, a podcaster. So uh, every once in a while, if my schedule allowed it, I would show up. I didn't really, I think I, I briefly maybe returned as an intern, but uh, by that time I was doing comedy and just the, the schedule didn't line up. And uh, yeah, no, I, uh, I'll show up. 
That's the one thing. I think that's why people uh, keep using me. Is I, I show up when you ask. Yeah, you're in a dolphin man versus the sex lobsters. Well, that uh, that's John Brennan, uh, and John Brennan's the greatest guy in the world. I would do. Uh, John Brennan can call me now and say, "Be in Pennsylvania tomorrow morning." And I'll be there. Uh, I would do anything that guy wants. Because he also did uh, the Kabuki Man versus Dracula short as well. We did that together. So we actually shot those together because Lloyd was out of town (laughs) and nobody was at the office. And we figured we could just fuck around. And we had the idea. We were doing that. And then we had the idea for Kabuki Man versus Dracula because that trailer actually dropped on April Fool's Day. And we promoted it like it was a real movie. And for the last few years to this day, if I'm at the booth, I've had people ask me when it's coming out. <laughs> it's on the grind exploitation. I forget which volume, but it's on one of them. Yeah. Um, and I want you to talk a little bit about the the heart of fartness where you get to play the Toxic Avenger. Yeah, I got to uh, play Fat Toxie. It's in Troma's first uh, venture into the virtual reality yeah, whatever company that made that camera had this 360 camera. And uh, so John wrote the short. And I don't think Lloyd ever really got that it was a 360 camera because he would go, okay, and we're going to do this and this. And then he would stand like this looking into it when they started shooting. We go, no, Lloyd, you got to get out of the shot. You got to hide. You go, oh, I'm sorry. And take like two steps to the left. Am I out of the shot? Lloyd, it's a 360. Oh, and take like another step over. <laughs> Am I out of the shot? <laughs> like, I don't think he got it. It's still on YouTube for anybody who wants to check it out. It's it's pretty funny. Then spice in with Lloyd's vacation videos. Yeah. <laughs> um, how did how did uh you end up in hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm? So um I of course, you know, wanted to be a part of it. I uh did a few cracks at the screenplay and I, uh, we did a few writers meetings and I had suggested jokes and then uh, Brandon Basham wrote the screenplay. He's absolutely incredible, brilliant dude. And me and John Brennan did a few punch-up sessions. That's typically what I do uh, for scripts in my life is I, uh, I do punch-up. I add jokes. I add little stuff. I'm not a big screen. I'm not a great screenwriter, but I'm a decent punch-up guy. And uh, I think whoever's supposed to AD the son of a bitch quit again the week before production. And I got the call at my grandmother's funeral. Hey, uh, we want you to come on. This is this is it. We can make these, you know, accommodations. And uh, I said, fuck it. I'll do it. Because uh, I was I had written my own part for that because Lloyd said, what do you want to do? And I had had the idea of being this like SJW woman, uh, specifically based on Lindy West, uh, the advocate. And uh, it just kind of morphed into something. And then I had the idea that I should break the fourth wall every time I'm in the movie. Yeah. Especially because I was like working on it. I thought it was like very funny and meta. Uh, And it's because Lloyd's a woman in it. I wanted to be a woman in it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but yeah, essentially on that one, I've, on both movies, I've gotten this weird credit called Associate Director, which is not a real credit. It's <laughs> me, Chelsea Holland, and James Gunn have gotten it. Uh, and it's basically, I was in charge of a lot of the actor persons, 
And on this one, uh, Shakespeare Shitstorm, more than anything, I uh, I sat off camera and was giving people new jokes in between takes, or I would feed Lloyd funny shit to say, because uh, Lloyd's very good, but uh, people were getting used to the lines, so I would whisper new lines in between takes so that people it would be fresh. Where was your character? So I just I just uh, watched watched Shakespeare Shitstorm a week ago, and it's very different from any of Lloyd's movies in a in a good way like it's it's a more mature film from Lloyd even though it starts out with whales having diarrhea all over the place um but your character shows up like halfway through the movie was that originally how it was or yeah that was always how it was that's when the movie starts to break the fourth wall yes right around there is when it starts to enter multiple uh realities where, they, where you're aware that there's people watching the movie with you which is very Shakespearean in a weird way. Yeah, <laughs> I I love uh, your your warriors reference, which I feel like is one of the more iconic lines in a trauma movie. And this movie hasn't even really like made its rounds yet, but it's gonna be up there with let's make some art, you know, Thank social you. justice warriors. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if the boss got that. He didn't under- I don't know if he understood it when we pitched it. But thankfully, uh, the DP got it and shot it right. Uh, So I don't think Lloyd's seen a lot of necessarily modern shit. Yeah. Uh, So sometimes the references go by him, and you got to sneak them in a little. On Poultrygeist, when there's a scene where all the chicken zombies break in, we were really trying to get him to have anybody say the line, they're here. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense. They're, of course, they're here. It's like the Lloyd, it's poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> when uh, we were writing, when we were doing one of the script meetings for Shitstorm, I was just throwing out, I, I, I have diarrhea of the mouth in those meetings. I'm just throwing out jokes. And if one out of 10 of them are funny, you know what I mean? Yeah. So in the script, you know, they're, they're on the boat and a whale jumps over it and starts shitting. And I go, oh, somebody should yell, dump, Willie, dump. <laughs> and Lloyd goes, why? I went, well, in Free Willie, they say, jump, Willie, jump. And he goes, nobody remembers fucking Free Willie. And I went, Lloyd, this scene is a parody of Free Willie. And he goes, no, it's not. And in the script, it says, whale jumps over boat, a la Free Willie. <laughs> and he goes, that's just stage direction. And I went, Lloyd, it's a parody of Free Willy. And he goes, nobody's going to know what it means. Maybe, you know, if you teed it up and a guy had his dick out, they were like, make your Willy jump, jump, Willy jump. But, you know, it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> where Did you go shoot in Albania? With, no, uh, I was not on that shoot. So how long of a shoot was it in uh, New York City? Not that bad, like a month and change. Did... So I know like some of the people who came to work on the movie, like stayed in hostels. Was there a, like a trauma commune situation? There was a trauma house in uh, Queens uh, that a lot of the kids all went and stayed at. And then a lot of people stayed at hostels this time. I was vaguely close enough that I could go home a few days a week. And then I was actually also working a production job on a TV show at the time at nights. So I was actually sleeping in my office 
and I would do a full day of shitstorm, go and do four or five hours on the TV show I was working on, and then sleep for five hours on a couch and come back. <laughs> that's that's pretty awesome. And I, I'm sure after like the big vomit day, going into the office was. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was sometimes it was a rough and tumble. <laughs> the funniest was I, you know, nobody knew I was sleeping there except my boss. And sometimes I would get up, but not really know what time it was. And I was coming out of the bathroom and I think I just had like boxers on and I didn't know people had already come to work. So there's like a cleaning lady and like somebody putting out bagels and I'm just standing there in my underwear, brushing my teeth. Like, ah. <laughs> how, uh, how has the response been to shitstorm for you? It's been absolutely phenomenal. People really get it. People are enjoying it. It's a great gross out movie. It's a great social commentary movie. It's a pretty good Shakespeare movie, I, I think. Uh, people are really enjoying it. I mean, you had great responses. And uh, you even seen it, we did at the Mahoning Drive-In, and people were just so responsive and so wonderful. I, I, I'm having the time of my life watching people watch it. I Yeah, I saw it like via a screening link, and I cannot wait to have the full experience with an Wait audience till you're in a theater and you see all that shit drop like when people react to all the poop dropping it's it's incredible it's there's such a large scope in this movie and then i i mean it's so new i don't want to talk too much about it but that ending is fucking nuts <laughs> yeah it's pretty wild so yeah and you do a great job in it their character is super funny <laughs> And you pull off the social justice warrior personality <laughs> pretty great. Thank you. That's based on a few people. <laughs> well, an amalgam of a few people that annoy me. Well, and it's funny too, because from the trailer, it's hard to say where the movie's gonna go. It's like, oh man, is this gonna come off as you know, Lloyd kind of being a tone-deaf, like 80-year-old man? And it really doesn't. So if anybody's kind of worried about that, like in there, like he this movie is probably one of his more shockingly self-aware yeah yeah it's it's fantastic but well i want to transition a little bit away from your trauma career and get into your other aspects of of what you do so you are also a wrestler i'm a manager uh manager i would, I would not i would not flatter myself by calling myself an athlete in any way i am a pro wrestling manager yeah for a company i mainly work uh, for a company called catalyst wrestling uh, I use my own name and I have a stable called the Hudson County Horror Show. And uh, I'm a bad guy. I've seen some of the bumps you take. It's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, I, I'm reckless. I'm on my after we're done with this meeting. I'm going uh, to a physical therapist for, to work on my back. <laughs> You're uh, a bleeder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I f find joy in uh, self-mutilation, unfortunately. Uh, for the entertainment of others i mean i've seen video of or, and like photos of you like doing like live music performances and then just you know from return to newcomb high and seeing you bleed in the squared circle so it's definitely you know you have like a gg allen sensibility of of a stage persona a neon yeah. gg allen <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an immense gg fan so thank you yeah same here <laughs> and and you also uh, do a lot of comedy, a lot of roasting. You're roasting yeah, hilarious. Stand -up comic. Thank you very much. I'm a stand up comic and I, uh, I'm a podcaster as well. 
where where can people watch some of your your stand up? Uh, easiest thing, I uh, so I don't have a lot of stand up online. I tr- I try to keep that for live stuff. I have you just search my name, Zach Amico. You can find some of my roast sets. I was on Comedy Central's Roast Battle season two. I have two episodes up on that. Uh, and then my podcast is the easiest way to see me do comedy. I do a morning show Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays called The Real Ass Podcast. I do a uh, dating and advice and story show called Bye Guys on Thursday with my friend Ian Fidance. And then I have a horror movie watch-along show called Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show that airs Fridays at midnight, all on the Gas Digital Network. And that's gasdigitalnetwork.com for a free live stream. Or you can sign up for an HD stream, and then the, everything comes out for free on YouTube uh, five days later. That's awesome. Yeah, they're they're fun. I've I've listened to the Bye Guys, and yeah, it's it's just a fun listen along. Like you're hanging Thank out you. with a bunch of friends. <laughs> so, well, all right. So on that note, I do think we should dive into this episode's feature into 1999 Mick Nap- Napier's film Batty Drives the Bus. I'm going to be your tour guide today, Roger. I can see you're all excited, because today we're going to be experiencing the wonder and beauty that is Chicago. The Annoyance Theater and Coburn Creative Group present Patty Drives the Bus. Patty Drives the Bus. What is it? It's a form giving your soul to me. I'm Satan. Roger versus Dine. Soul away. A comedy. How the hell did we get out here? Tee hee. I've been looking forward to this trip all week, you know? Gonna have a great time. I should know what I'm talking about. I'm a beautiful broad wearing a dress and bumps. Forget about it, alright? A fun time! Shut the fuck up. A feel good. That's such a tall building. Never better. Chalk fool. Do you like my hat? It's a silly one. Mirthful. <laughs> Make merry. Did you take that head out of the freezer? Happy, happy. Ah. Uh... Comedy! All that's left for us now is to crash and die. Monfay! Robinson! Field! And a lot of other people whose names you don't know. Ian! Welcome to the action for all us tourists I love. Patty drives the bus. Is that all you? I like my boys extra large, you know what I mean? 
bus driver. There's no shame in dying, you know. From trauma, of course. Absolutely. This is my favorite trauma movie. I talk about it to the point where I got a message once from Lloyd's assistant at the time. Tell Zach to stop talking about Fatty Drives the Bus every time he does fucking press. <laughs> it's a lot of people's favorite uh, trauma movie. I know it was Blade Braxton, one of his favorite trauma movies. When I was queuing up people for the show, uh, Doug Sackman was like, is anybody doing Fatty Drives the Bus yet? And I told him that you were. He's like, oh, well, he's really good to talk about it. <laughs> I know Liam Regan loves the movie. It's it's definitely, I feel like in the trauma cult of movies, it has its own cult following. So it's odd. I would call it the trauma love language in that it's a trauma movie that very few of us had seen. But once you see it, everybody talks about it. And it was what uh, it's kind of like a secret. It was almost like a secret handshake where you meet people. You're like, oh, you're into trauma. And you talk about it. And then if they can quote Fatty Drives the Bus, you're like, (laughs) oh, shit, this this guy's been in it. Uh, (laughs) And yeah, it's the funniest fucking movie. And yeah, Blade loved it. It was the sweetest guy on earth. And what I saw it. I got a VHS of it at Schiller Theater. Because I was buying trauma movies, and there was a lady who worked at trauma many years ago named Mother Millie. Millie, yep. <laughs> and Millie handed it to me and said, "And take this one, you'll love it." And it was the weirdest. I mean, it's to this day one of the weirdest movies you could ever watch. And I'm I've been obsessed with it since I'm like 15. I honestly had not. I've owned this movie for a while, but I it's just sat on my my collection until everyone was like all right this is the movie just a bunch of people were talking it's like well i think it's time i dust that off so it was a a first view for me and it didn't quite connect the first time i watched it but liam liam was like you need to watch it a second time that's what everybody says everybody the first time you watch it it is a what the fuck is this and what are they talking about yeah (laughs) And then, like, three days later, you think about something from it, you go, eh. And then you watch it again and realize it's funny. Yes. <laughs> it's a very weird... So the whole movie, the way I would explain it, uh, deliberately fucks with the concept of time and timing in film. Yes. In that it throws you off and makes you uncomfortable. It repeats shots. I would say the hammer falling over and over again, the clocks in the beginning. And it basically is almost making fun of you for watching it. Yes. There's a scene up top that I won't completely spoil where there's two, it's just a very, very wide shot with two of the characters. And they break down the entire plot of the movie beat by beat. And the other one goes, well, that would be stupid. And then you watch that movie. And that's in the first five to ten minutes of the yeah. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, I do want I do want to play that clip because if you need a synopsis of the film, it's that's not it. even a spoiler because it's in the first 
first few minutes. Hey, what's going on, bud? You remember last night when I said nothing ever happens around here and we never have any fun? Yeah, I just thought you were drunk. Well, I just, I was. But today, I woke up and I decided we're going to the big city. Ah, uh, I don't like the big cities. Come on, Sam. Why not? You know, bad stuff happens in big cities. Oh, quit being a baby. What could happen? Well, like maybe you'd book us on a bus tour, except the real bus tour wouldn't be there, so we'd have to go on a smaller bus with a lot of weird couples and people I don't know, except there might be a girl I kind of like, and then maybe the real bus driver will be there, and he's a really fat guy, but the real bus tour guy, he's sick, so, so Satan takes over, and, and he tries, tries to sell, get our souls throughout the trip, and he's pointing out weird things, and, except I've never been to the big city, so I don't know what he's telling us is true, or maybe it's not true, and then you're going to lose all your money, and then we're just going to come out of home, and the next day I'll be back here just digging holes in the dirt again. Yeah, right. You're such a downer i'm gonna go get the car all right before that just in case if you weren't sure what you're getting into the opening title card says this is a story of how satan changed into a chicago bus guide uh tour guide and rose to earth in order to get the souls of people taking that tour that day because he knew the bus was going to crash and everyone was going to die and all the while along with everyone on the tour being pursued by jesus this is a true story it's the best, dude. It's so funny. And it's it's weird that the director only did one movie, but apparently he was a pretty big deal in the Chicago theater scene. Yeah, so it's uh, the movie is by a uh, improv troupe called Annoyance Productions. And they had a theater out in Chicago, and they were like almost, not an offshoot, but a more punk rock, more like, fuck you version of like an upright citizens yeah and they made the movie on their own actually matt walsh from upright citizens brigade is in it he is in the last shot where it's a bunch of people like all standing in a row on the beach yeah matt walsh from upright citizens brigade is in that shot and people would know from the hangover and parks and rec and all that shit and it's kind of crazy, like how big of a deal the Annoyance Theater was. Like John Favreau, Jane Lynch, uh, Colbert, like all came from yeah. that crew. Which is kind of funny that all those big names came from that crew, but they are not in Fatty Drives the Bus. No, and actually, oh, pretty much nobody in it uh, is in anything else. Yeah, it's a pretty insulated crew. Um, the director also wrote a book about improv theater improvise scene from inside and out i've not read it but i saw that he did that um and it looks like the movie was shot on 16 millimeter like in 93 94 even though trauma put it out in 99 um and in the on the dvd there's a behind the scenes documentary it's like 13 minutes mostly home movies but one of the slates um reads uh that darn antichrist i think was the original title so i'm not sure if they named it fatty drives the bus or if trauma did but yeah i'm not entirely sure i've had a few conversations where lloyd said it's a brilliant movie but i I haven't had many conversations about how it was acquired or uh, what they thought of it other than that it's just it's such a like i said it's such a love language between the people that have worked and it's almost a love language for people that have worked there yeah there's trauma fans and then there's people that have like been in the shit. Yeah. <laughs> have do you have a favorite character in the movie? Oh yeah, it's got to be Bridget. Bridget's fantastic. So there's three three ladies. There's the mom, uh, Mamie, uh, the daughter, um, who's Lena, and Bridget, who's the mom's dra- best friend. Yeah, who is a man in drag, not at all 
attempting to play a woman. It's like a doing a bad like goodfellas impression like yeah, forget about like a, it <laughs> like an almost yeah like a, a nearly like a rodney dangerfield type of voice but they'll keep on hey i'm a beautiful fucking woman here oh <laughs> it's like of course you got a beautiful lady like me forget about it <laughs> my favorite thing bridget does is uh has a heart so the the mom is like abusive and she constantly talks down to the daughter and she's the most miserable person on earth and the daughter is kind of like this one character in the movie that has hope and like these like, you know, Midwestern dreams. And she's talking to Bridget and she tells her all these beautiful things. And Bridget's being really supportive and loving. And, you know, you might get out of here and you'll meet a guy. And the mom comes back in and she goes, sorry, my daughter's annoying you. And Bridget goes, she's bugging the shit out of me. <laughs> and there's a scene later on in the movie where they're at the Buckingham fountain, which is the opening shot of married with children, that fountain. And Bridget does like a dance number with, with a street performer. And, you know, given the fact that they're actually shooting film, they maybe had permits to do that. But I, I don't know if that's, it comes out very much like it happened, just happened. Yeah. And there's like a crowd of about 50 people watching, you know, this, this guy in drag like just dancing along <laughs> the singer's like come on pretty lady in a blue dress <laughs> yeah it's, it's if i could count the ways i love this movie we'd be here all day there's i have a couple characters who who i'm like up in the air if which one's my favorite i really like the mom mamie like mm -hmm. she probably has some of the best lines i think in the movie but the narrator. The, oh, I, I was gonna say the Zodsworths, uh, who are the rich couple, are probably the most quotable people in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> There's no shame in dying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you ever eat rice out of a human skull? Forget uh, about the forget about the heads. <laughs> it's, you want an apple? 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 I love how this movie starts. Where it's like the narrator just comes in and he's like, I'm the narrator. This is Dave. And it's a guy playing the piano and it says Dave. And then he just says, let's go to hell. And then it just cuts right into the movie. The movie. And the okay, only there's a picture. I, what is it? Like a big totem pole or something? Yeah. Who says that? I wonder if it would fit up my ass. And then the screen just cuts to black and it says ass. <laughs> and then I, if I had enough money, I would buy a short bus and paint it and drive around in the cheap ass tour bus. Oh, it's they... so funny. Yeah. And it, and like, they're pulling it up alongside, like, it's a pretty kind of, in a way it's a straightforward. They're just going to three different locations. There's not a lot of locations in this movie, but no, they... it's, a, it's a very basic tour of Chicago. Yeah. But they go to the Sears tower, um, Buckingham fountain and Wrigley field. And all of them, the Satan, who's the tour guide, is like, this is the site of the St. Valentine's, Valentine's Day Massacre. massacre. <laughs> Which, at the, the first time I was watching it, I don't I don't really know anything about Chicago. So when he's like, oh, the Sears Tower, I was like, that can't be true. I don't think that's true. But then when he starts saying it for everything, I was like, all right, that's pretty, that's pretty funny. <laughs> One thing I thought was disappointing with the movie it's called Fatty Drives the Bus, and given Troma's history of fat people in movies, he is probably the skinniest fat guy in all of their films, other than maybe Fat Guy Goes Nutsoid. 
Yeah. I was hoping he'd be a little chunkier, but <laughs> I'll I'll accept it. <laughs> I mean, it's not I think he has a one-word line and then he dies. Yeah. <laughs> I and the beginning of the movie, they go through all the characters, they introduce them, and then they're like, and here's Fatty. He drives the bus. <laughs> it's like, all right, I guess we we know what that's, that's all your about. Exposition. And and at the beginning of the movie, before before we get to all the people in the bus, we're in hell. And it looks like an uh, early Guar set of hell. It's, Very much so, yeah. Um, it was, I guess, shot in the basement of the old Annoyance Theater. It's like made with cardboard and spray paint. And um, the only time really you you see anybody in, in uh, devil makeup is in this scene. And at first I thought he looked like a member of Cradle of Filth, like walking around down there. <laughs> and... Yeah, and it's like okay, well, I need to go go to Earth and uh, and uh, get all these souls. But first, he has to transform, and he says it like thirty times. I'm going to transform. I'm going. And they to... bring out the transmogrification machine. But before they is... do that, oh. the screen cuts to black, and it says Satan is going to transform. <laughs> After about two minutes of him yelling at the camera that he's going to transform. <laughs> So yeah, that's actually one of the things I was saying about the movie uh, deliberately messing with time and your expectations. It makes you feel stupid when when you just said these. I'm going to transform, transform, transform. Satan is going to transform. It beats you over the head with it. And it's almost a parody of the way movies are shot and deliver information to audiences. And they over explain things to a point where it's funny whereas but they don't treat you like you're stupid if that makes sense no you're not treated like you're stupid you're you feel it yes (laughs) because then there's an entire plot line uh with a scientist solving stuff and he just goes i knew the secret dogs and then he just it's just him measuring dogs ears and they never explain it and then he feels like terrible he's like i tortured these dogs and then it's just footage of the cutest dogs like in a little maze like just like being puppies yeah just being happy (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's this is one of those movies that it's kind of hard to describe to people because it's plot wise it's satan goes to earth and jesus tries to stop him on foot yeah and they, they tour three locations in Chicago, and it's just, you know, you got, it's one of those, you kind of just got to watch it um, to see all these zany characters that pop up in there. Yeah, essentially, the easiest way to picture it to people is it's this great improv group. They each pick these really offbeat, wild characters to commit to. They're all stuck on a tour bus, and you get to watch everybody stretch out their weird uh character actor traits yeah <laughs> um and they satan basically goes through gets everybody's soul and when satan has captured all the soul he celebrates with a dance with wearing a cat in the hat hat yeah and it kind of reminded me a little bit of like the herky jerky man from mr show yeah <laughs> Um, but I'm pretty sure that Satan was not a January 6th insurrectionist. So I yes, but had Choo Choo the Herky Jerky Dancer been there January 6th, I think the whole day would have went different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, and then at the, 
Jesus meets up with Satan and they talk things over over a game of chess and uh, they kind of become the best of friends in the last couple minutes of the movie. And there's and then another over exposition. The movie just takes forever to stop. I, I'm actually going to play that monologue because it's kind of amazing. It wasn't long before the walking turned into talking. And the funny thing about talking with someone is you usually end up listening too. When you listen to someone long enough, you just can't help learning a little something about them. And when you talk and listen and learn, well, can loving be far behind? Satan decided to give everyone their souls back, and old Jesus decided to be a bit more open-minded and tolerant of Satan's rascally nature. As for the people on the bus, well, they came to realize how precious and tenuous this thing called life is. And none of them ever took another day or another person for granted again. That, my friends, is what having a soul is all about. So don't be afraid to take some time to simply hold the hand of someone you love, for that is truly one of the most important things you can do. For love is the glue which holds life together. You know, the universe is big and grievances are small. Life is too short for fighting, people. An enemy is a friend that we haven't taken time to make. And underneath our colors, we're all the same. We can work miracles if we just fill ourselves with a love of life that is as boundless as the sea and as deep as the sea. So don't cloud your minds with pot or mammy crank or any other drug. Get high on life. It's all around you. Start your day off with a dime bag of happiness because Mother Nature's the only pusher you need. You don't have to be smart or good looking or have bladder control to enjoy your life. I've seen half-wits so full of joy, they lie on the floors of restaurants and make odd barking noises. The world is your oyster. Take that pearl and eat that hocker inside. So go ahead, make that deal. Shoot for the stars, because you only live once. Life's a celebration. Find yourself a pretty girl and marry her. There's plenty of love to go around. Together you can do anything. Have kids and dress them up like sailors. I want you to go to the first cop you see and kiss him right on the mouth. He's keeping the streets safe for love. Remember, a cop's not just the man, he's part of the plan. Even the most impossible tasks seem easy. When you tap into that funky love groove that's all around us, it's not hard. Just open yourself and embrace your brothers and sisters on Earth, no matter how ugly you think they are. Like those whores do, they got the idea. Love everyone day or night. Good for you, whores. Keep up the loving. My mom was a whore. So let's make the most of life, people. Get up and seize the day. Don't just sit there grinning like a fool. Get off your sofa. Get out of this high-priced movie theater. Let your every day be a testament to the great gift of life. The world is a big, wonderful place, and the people in it are the greatest treasure of all. So surround yourself with love and people. Stand shoulder to shoulder, eye to eye with them. 
and let them know you care. Jesus and Satan managed to put their differences aside and a whole new world opened up to them. Let's make up our minds right now to live in a world of love before the time comes when we have to say goodbye. Because sooner or later, we all wind up dead. Dead. Fat. I mean dead. Most souls fly to heaven, but Fatty, he drives the bus. Whores! My mother was a whore. <laughs> so, do you have any final thoughts on Fatty Drives the Bus? Yeah, it's just, it's one of those movies that it's very hard. I've learned over the years, it's very hard to sell people on the first viewing. You have to trust them. And you're gonna, your friends are gonna, you're gonna lose a friend or two who trust your taste in movies. Yes. But the ones that get it, when you watch it again, it is one of the funniest movies. And like, and I'll say, you know, uh, the Blade Braxton, who passed away, nobody had more fun than the two of us quoting Fatty Drives the Bus out of context when we were sad or bored. You know, it becomes a, a language between you and your friends. And the way we could just all spit out quotes from the dumbest fucking movie yeah. that no one's seen. It, it's just like, it's why movies are so important and like how you can make great friendships based on art. And that's what like that that's what the movie represents to me. And I I want to say if you do watch Fatty Drives the Bus and you don't like it on your first viewing. You have to watch it a second time. I'm really glad I did because the first time I watched it, I was like, this movie just isn't sitting well with me. Like I just, it's I'm not comfortable. Film. Yeah. It's not a comfortable watch. One thing I don't know if the audience knows, but when I'm watching these movies, I make my wife watch, watch them with me for the show. So she's getting quite the crash course in, into some movies. And this is when she walked out of, she hasn't walked I believe out of that, <laughs> but, uh, I'm I'm glad that um, Liam Regan told me he's like you gotta watch it a second time for it to really get you. And after that, I, I it's can't like really watching see. a different movie the second time. Yeah, you just know you know the pacing of the movie, so you you gotta watch it twice. And it's not that long of a movie. If you it's like watching if you watch it twice, you're you would still be in the new Batman movie in the theater. Yes. So. <laughs> Well, on that, so it is Fatty Drives the Bus Night at your theater. What is the double feature that you're showing? All right. So I'm going with a movie that has all the same problems as Fatty Drives the Bus, but unintentionally. Uh, this movie has large spots where there's no music. It repeats shots. It doesn't make sense. Uh, the pacing is wrong, and it makes you uncomfortable. The editing... Uh, is sickening and it's called Love on a Leash. I can't believe I'm a dog. Oh, that's messed up. A magic curse. I gotta get help now. One chance to break the spell. Find true love is the only way. It will be the quest of a lifetime. Please help me find a real man. Oh, 
she's the one. There are no real men. I'm right here. It's not easy to be a homeless dog, is it? How about being my roommate? Why don't we call you Prince? That's what I'll do. Lisa. What are you doing here? I love you. Back off. I want you. <laughs> she's mine. You saved my life. I'm gonna stay with you forever. Prince, Prince, your dog. I love you. I love you so much. No! I'm still a dog. Till you learn true love, you can only be a man at night. Love on a leash. <laughs> you want dog food? Yeah, I'm a dog genius. Love on a Leash was a movie that was released on Amazon Prime, and it was written and directed by an elderly Asian woman who got financing through her church to make a movie about a woman who falls in love with her dog. The dog becomes a man, then becomes a dog again. Uh, the church saw it and said, she said it was going to be about Christ and then just lied and made it anyway. Uh, she passed away and she had filled the movie with copywritten music <laughs> that she didn't own. She passed away and had sold the rights to some company that just sold it as part of like a few hundred movie package to Amazon. So Amazon just took it and stripped all the copywritten music out of it. So it's just essentially a musicless film with long montages and establishing shots. And nobody in the movie knows what's going on. I've watched interviews now with the people that worked on it that just this crazy lady was making a movie. The guy that's the voice of the dog was a comic who worked at the comedy store. He got paid in a a bag of tangerines <laughs> and it's a sick it's i showed it to uh, i showed it on my movie watch along show and it gave my friend mike cannon a panic attack because of it's it's edited like a music video the whole time but to not only silence the music's been taken out so it's the sound of nothing <laughs> and it's equally as hard to watch as fatty drives the bus but for every opposite reason in that it's completely unself-aware. I I kind of went the same theme for my double feature um, to a movie. I I don't know if it's self-aware or not because of all the LSD that was going around, but I'm going with the 1967 film directed by the Beatles, Magical Mystery Tour. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to... Magical Mystery Tour! Magical Mystery Tour with Paul, George, John, and Ringo in their own film. Take a trip back in time with the Beatles. This Uncle Jack died, you've never been the same. Well, of course I, because I ain't got Uncle Jack ever. Magical Mystery! 
you've seen seen this one uh it's it makes about as much sense plot wise as fatty drives the bus um you, you get to see the beatles go to a strip club and feed a fat woman spaghetti with a shovel and uh yeah i mean it's got some fun songs in there but it really doesn't make sense other than it's on a bus and there's a lot of weird characters that you get perfect yeah um i always like to see if there's any like trauma connections with any of these movies. And I found one in magical mystery tour and uh, Ringo has a special thanks in monster in the closet. None of the rest of the Beatles, but Ringo does. So I need to figure out more to that story to see why that happened. (laughs) Well, awesome. Um, I'm glad you came on the show, Zach. Uh, Where can people keep up with what you're up to? Uh, just follow me on social media. My Instagram is at Zach is not funny. Z-A-C is not funny. And uh, my backup Twitter, because I'm currently Zach is not funny, is banned on Twitter, is Z-A Spook Show. And uh, just, yeah, please follow my uh, podcast, The Real Ass Podcast, by Guys and Zach Amico's Midnight Spook Show. And I have a cartoon out right now called Foolishly Ghoulish. Uh, it's my version of Tales from the Crypt. I have four episodes on YouTube right now, and I have uh, four more coming in the first season, and it looks like we're going to try and do a second season. Awesome. And you guys can follow me on Insta and Twitter at Lego Larry. You can follow the show on Twitter at Talk and Troma. And as always, stay traumatized. Mm-hmm.